Welcome to the Gallopod with me, Gala Placidia. In this episode, I'm reading the second part of my fic, Exposure. If you're not here for Drury fanfic, you're in the wrong place. Next week, when I release the third and final part of this fic, I will also be releasing a bonus episode where I interview a friend of mine who does sex work about the representation of sex workers in fanfiction. I'm really excited about this bonus episode. I think it has some very insightful things to say about the way fandom deals with this issue, so do tune in for that next week. Content warning. This story deals with themes of sex work and betrayal. I hope you enjoy Exposure. Narcissa Malfoy? asked Hermione. I don't really know. As always when Harry felt morally confused, he had turned to Hermione, and, as always when he felt pretty sure he was doing something wrong, he hadn't told her the details. The Ministry sees the manor and everything, right? asked Harry. Yes. Is she even still in the country? asked Hermione. I don't know, said Harry. Hermione cupped her hands around her mug of coffee. I hope you're not getting hung up on the idea that Malfoy's up to something again, she said. He was up to something, said Harry, because this was a point he felt people often forgot, and really it changed the whole narrative. Fine, said Hermione, but I highly doubt he is now. No, I know, said Harry. I just... I was wondering. He asked his accommodating secretary to bring him Draco Malfoy's file. Draco Malfoy had apparently served his time in Azkaban without any mishaps. Shortly after he was released, the Aurors had been called to his flat in Nocturne Alley, following reports of some sort of domestic quarrel. Although Harry couldn't tell who had been involved, only that Draco had declined to press charges. The next and final time that Draco had interacted with the Aurors had been a month after his parole ended. St Mungo's called them when Draco turned up at the hospital holding a severely injured Narcissa Malfoy. The staff at St Mungo's suspected that Draco was responsible for beating his mother. After all, he was a Death Eater, and informed the authorities. Narcissa Malfoy did not press charges. After that, nothing. I thought I might have scared you off, said Draco. I don't scare easily, said Harry. Ha, said Draco, with a searching glance. I couldn't find out anything about your mother, said Harry. You went looking, asked Draco, sounding alarmed. No, I just asked a few friends, that sort of thing, said Harry. It wasn't a big deal. Please don't, said Draco. She's... I'm sure she's trying to lie low. You two don't talk? asked Harry. Draco started unbuttoning his shirt. God, it's hot in here, he said. You don't have to distract me like a kid with a toy, said Harry. If I'm being nosy, just tell me. Draco put his face in his hands. I don't talk to Mother. It was better for her without me. What do you mean, better? asked Harry. Draco took several deep breaths before lowering his hands. Just better, he said. You look hot, by the way. Oh, thank you, said Harry. Really hot? Fuck, the things I would do to you. But after they had both come, Draco didn't put on his usual cheerful expression again. Instead, he propped himself up on his elbow and looked thoughtfully at Harry. Was that all right? he asked. It was brilliant, said Harry. You're always brilliant. It feels really different now, said Draco. Harry used his wand to spell himself clean, because why not? When he looked up, Draco was watching him hungrily. Different in a bad way? asked Harry. No, said Draco. Just different. I was wondering, do you follow Quidditch at all? Harry stared at him. It was surreal, 
these moments when he remembered that Draco didn't know who he was, despite the fact that Harry was more himself with Draco than with anyone else. A bit, he said. How have the tornadoes been playing? asked Draco. They talked Quidditch for the better part of an hour, when Harry suddenly realised they were fifteen minutes over the arranged session length. Shit, said Harry. It's nearly ten. Oh, fuck, said Draco. Fuck! He closed his eyes. Marlin's going to be impossible. Marlin? Uh, said Draco, going red. Next client. I'm late for him. He put his head into his hands. Ugh, he's... Okay, anyway, I'm sorry we didn't go again. Talking about Quidditch is better than sex, said Harry. Draco laughed. God, it really is. See, I can have sex with anyone. But I can only talk about Quidditch with you. The loneliness of that unsaid statement rumbled through Harry like a shockwave. See you Wednesday, said Harry. Before, Harry had spent a lot of time trying to convince himself that Draco treated him differently from his other clients. Now, he tried to tell himself the opposite. Because if Draco really was treating him differently, it made Harry's deception all the more pressingly, urgently cruel. He knew he had options. One, he could tell Draco who he really was, but... Draco lounged on his bed, looking blissfully shagged out. Kyrgyzstan, he said. How do you spell it? asked Harry. Draco stretched happily. I don't know. I swear the Z moves around the word when I look away, he said. Harry got it on his third go. You know what's nice about you, said Draco. My hair? <laughs> you weren't in the war, said Draco. It's impossible for me to talk to people who are in it. The people on my side are fucking crazy, and the people on your side... Draco trailed off. I'm just glad, that's all, he finished. Azerbaijan, said Harry. Oh, good one, said Draco. Number two. He could stop seeing Draco. Draco started talking more about everything after Harry called him by his real name. He talked about his university classes. As far as I can tell, all women in the Middle Ages were completely mad. Have you ever read Marjorie Kemp? About his workouts. This is going to sound like I'm showing off, but I'm telling you, when you're this in shape, you have to conceive of increasingly ridiculous ways to stay in shape. And even about his other clients. Harry had to piece information about them together, because Draco never said their name at the same time as any identifying facts but there came up enough that soon Harry had a decent idea of Draco's regulars. There was Dan, whom Draco had a disorienting habit of mentioning as my friend, I mean, shit, my client. Dan, from what Harry had figured out, was married and in his fifties. He had recently realised he was bisexual, and his wife had enthusiastically encouraged him to explore his sexuality on the internet. Enter Draco. Sometimes she comes in and brings him a cup of tea while we're in session and waves hello to me. A fucking adorable... There was Marlin, who was stingy and always felt hard done by. But he's got a really high-paying, high-stress job, and he came from a working-class background, so he's just a bit winded still. I don't know, I, I get it. Draco seemed to have limitless empathy for his regulars. There was Arthur and Haroon and Tom. He mentioned them in passing, relating funny things they had said. He never mentioned his actual friends. It eventually became clear to Harry that that was because he didn't have any. Harry's third option was inevitably both the worst and the easiest. Number three. Continue to develop a relationship built on deception with Draco Malfoy. Maybe Harry had made too many sacrifices when he was younger. Maybe all that was left in him was selfishness. Maybe it was just that he had grown to care deeply about Draco, and he couldn't stand the thought of hurting him actively, either by leaving or by telling him the truth. 
Whatever the reason, Harry did not leave, and he continued to answer to James. Harry had forgotten about the tickets Ron and Seamus had got to go see the Chudley Cannons. All day he was looking forward to seeing Draco, and at the last minute, Ron showed up at his office, dressed in orange, and said, You ready? So it wasn't until the following day that he saw Draco. He's alive, said Draco, although his smile was rather strained. I'm really sorry about yesterday, said Harry. I forgot I was going to see the cannons. From bad to worse, said Draco, but he lightened up when he saw how repentant Harry was. After they'd both come, they ended up getting into a strange conversation about insect stings. I was stung on the eyelid once, by a wasp, said Draco. I don't believe you, said Harry. Draco shook his head. I'll prove it, he said, looking through his phone. Hang on, can I text this to you? It'll be easier, and then you can tell me next time you plan on leaving me languishing like a maiden in the castle. I'm sorry, said Harry. Draco waved him off. It was fine. Harry had a sudden flash of Draco waiting by his laptop to talk to him, and eventually realising he wasn't going to show. The wasp sting picture arrived on Harry's phone seconds later, a miserable, swollen-faced Draco staring off into the distance. You look so grumpy, said Harry, laughing. Draco laughed too. It was awful. I had to cam looking like that, and all the creeps crawled out of the woodwork with their strange insect-bite-related sexual suggestions, and Dan and Haroon spent like three days putting arseholes in their place in the public chat until I looked normal again. Couldn't you just have glamoured it? asked Harry. Draco went very still. He was wearing the shirt Harry loved so much, the one that made his eyes tilt over from grey to blue. He fiddled with the cuff, looking as if he were trying to decide to tell Harry something. Harry waited. "'I don't have a wand,' said Draco. "'What? But I—' "'Returned it to you,' he had almost said. He had sent it to Draco's lawyers, at least, and they had assured him it had been returned. "'I thought prisoners had their wands returned to them upon release,' he said. "'They do,' said Draco. "'It was afterwards.' "'What was?' "'That it was broken,' said Draco.' You broke it? I didn't say that. Draco, did someone break your wand? Draco shrugged, looking at his hands. Can't you buy a new one? asked Harry. What, from Ollivander? said Draco. I could, Draco sighed. No, it's not even that. He paused. (laughs) It sounds so dramatic. They, um, suggested, they implied, that I would be safer in the muggle world than the wizarding, which has so far proven true, so. Harry was too angry to form a full sentence. They? he asked. Miscellaneous, said Draco. You know, vigilantes, the Harry Potter brigade. Harry sank back into his chair, winded. What do you mean? Are you claiming Harry Potter broke your wand and exiled you? No, said Draco, frowning. He wouldn't do something like that. He's insufferable, but... He drifted off into thought. Decent. He's very decent. At least he was. I don't know what he's like now. Or does funny things to people. Harry thought of his complete inability to engage with his friends, his shitty, well-paid job, and his habit of floating through conversations without really being there. He thought of what he was doing to Draco, and was not at all sure he was still decent. But, he said, dragging himself back to the present, what do you mean by the Harry Potter Brigade, then? Draco waved his hand. Oh, you know, the Chosen One didn't sacrifice himself so that scum like you could live happily ever after. They make a bit of a religion of it. You must know what I mean. Harry shook his head. I don't really keep up with that sort of thing, he said. 
One of your more lovable qualities, said Draco. Harry tried to laugh. He felt sick. James, said Draco, are you all right? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to complain. You didn't deserve that, said Harry. Draco gave a little twitch of his shoulders and smiled, clearly not saying what he was thinking. It's not like you killed anyone, said Harry. You weren't exactly into being a Death Eater. I got this very exciting cock ring in the post. Shall I show it to you? It lights up, said Draco, effectively ending the conversation. Harry took a picture of the Daily Prophet Quidditch section the next morning and texted it to Draco. The response was immediate. You are an absolute legend. Real MVP over here. Don't thank me. I only sent it as further proof that your hopes for the tornadoes are delusional. True fans are there when the going is bad. Slash, when the Seeker accidentally confunds herself and ends up wandering the deserts of Kuwait. There's never been a good time for the tornadoes. Excuse you. They did all right during my fifth year. Fluke. Can't speak to you when you're like this. You in class? Library. Writing a Thomas Hardy essay. It's bleak as hell. Never read him. I'll give you the précis. Rape is bad. Oh, good to know. You heard it first here, folks. <laughs> Lol. I'm just at my bullshit job. Peddling bullshit. But you do it so well. Yeah, I guess. Was that a serious moment? Did I misjudge? In my experience, you don't misjudge anymore. Oh. That was... nice. Do you have many friends? asked Draco. He had been quiet and preoccupied all session, and they hadn't done anything sexual yet. Actually, they'd been having sex less and less, which made Harry feel all sorts of things. Principally, it made him feel as if he were getting through to the hidden parts of Draco. Draco had a pronounced tendency to deflect using sex. The idea that Draco was allowing Harry in beneath his armour made Harry feel a strange, guilty sort of rapture. Uh, yeah, I think so, said Harry. Quite a few. Draco nodded. That makes sense, he said. How about you? asked Harry. Met anyone nice at uni? Draco frowned, fiddling with a tie around his arm. Harry had several times mentioned that he didn't mind about the mark, but this only made Draco change the subject, not the habit. Oh, said Draco. Yeah, I guess. He twisted his mouth. Harry was visited by an intense desire to jump through the screen and hug him. Hard to make friends, said Harry. Well, I'm older than them, said Draco. Yeah, but you're also incredibly attractive. Draco flushed red. I get anxious around muggles, he said. And wizards. Just people, really. I get anxious around people. Since the war. But you're the most sociable person I know, said Harry. You talk to, like, 200 people at once on your public shows, and you're so relaxed. Internet people, said Draco. It's different. I can shut my laptop any time. Like closing your eyes as a child. Remember how it used to feel as if people would disappear if you shut your eyes. Harry shifted. I don't really think about my childhood all that much, he said. Oh, said Draco. I think I knew that. Sorry, I didn't mean to bring it up. He squeezed his eyes shut. Are you wishing me away? asked Harry. Draco shook his head. Sorry, he said. He opened his mouth, then closed it again. Are you okay? asked Harry. Do you know that you're the only person who ever asks me that? What about Dan? asked Harry. Draco made a non-committal gesture and didn't answer. What about... said Harry. Your friends from Hogwarts? Draco looked up sharply. What about them? Don't you ever see them? asked Harry. Draco fiddled with the buttons of his shirt. You don't tell people about me, do you? he asked. Uh, no, said Harry. Draco nodded to himself. That's good, he said.
Although maybe you'll be fine, I don't know. Draco, did those people who broke your wand tell you you couldn't see your friends anymore? Draco didn't answer. They did, didn't they? Draco, that's fucked up. Draco was silent and wouldn't meet his eye. Draco? Yeah, said Draco. We should really get to the dick-touching part of the session. He was lonely, Harry realised. Draco was crushingly lonely, so lonely that some days it seemed to radiate through the screen, his desperation to talk to Harry, to hear about magic, to reminisce about the world he clearly still loved more than anything. But it was increasingly obvious that he also saw his loneliness as something he deserved. If Harry ever tried to tell him that the people who had broken his wand had done something wrong, Draco shut down completely and wouldn't talk about anything but sex for the rest of the session. In his massive office, Harry started researching the vigilantes who had come after Draco. It was very hard to find a lead. The trail had been cold for so long. He couldn't find so much as a trace of Narcissa Malfoy. The Slytherins in general seemed to have vanished into nothingness. After a few weeks of searching, he had to accept that unless Draco gave him more information, there was no chance that Harry would be able to find them. And Draco never spoke about them for long enough for there to be any stray details. Text exchange between Draco and Harry. James. James. Urgent. What? Everything okay? Blurry picture of a shaggy-haired lecturer. No. My lecturer's hot. What should I do? <laughs> Lol. He scared me. Lol, sorry. It was an aesthetic emergency. His voice sounds like velvet. I feel like you're breaking some of the camboy rules here. Aren't you supposed to make me feel like I'm the only man in the world? You can handle it. Fuck. James, he knows so much about Thomas Mallory. Is that a book? Why do I bother with you? Because you like my dick, I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah, good point. Do you think if I accidentally turned in some erotica instead of my Tristam and Isolde essay, he would think I was pretty? Yeah, that's a great idea. Do that. You give bad advice. Meanwhile, in my life, my secretary's having phone sex and thinks I can't hear her. She has a phone? You have a secretary? They're using Patronuses. That is terrible. I hate that. What's your Patronus? Never cast one. Oh, right. Sorry. What's yours? Oh god, I will never be able to unhear the things they're saying to each other. Please relate. Actually, don't. If I come in the lecture hall, people will think I'm weird. Uh, trust me, they don't do dirty talk like you do. Is there a compliment somewhere in there? Yeah. You're the hottest fucking thing in the world. Smiling like an idiot at my phone. That's smart. Make the lecturer jealous. So you seriously have a secretary, huh? That's hot. Do you ever think about shagging her? Lol, no. I pretty much only think about shagging you. Hmm. But I'm not a secretary. Also, I am in love with Professor Gnice. Love? This is progressing. He just quoted a long passage from the prose Tristan and Old French. From memory. I would die for this man. Okay, I think they're done. That was anticlimactic. You should give them tips. Hello, your employer hired me to improve your Patronus sex life. That would literally be the most productive thing I'd done all year. Not to be all, like, your mum. She's dead, so. Oh shit, sorry. I didn't know. Don't worry. What mum-like advice was heading my way? The classic, have you considered quitting your job that you hate? Ah, that old chestnut. Lol, yeah. Is that an overstep? No. It's a good point. I decay, the money's good and it's easy and there's nothing else I want to do. Yeah, okay, you've convinced me. In fact, I would also like this job now. Cool, cool. What are your skills? I'm really cute. You're hired. <laughs> Lol, okay. I should probably start taking notes on Thomas Mallory. Slash, writing this lecturer a love poem and rhyme royal. What's rhyme royal? Oh, James, thy hair is long and inky black. Thine browning eyes do gaze and make me squirm. 
Too good, I wonder. Can he like me back? Although most think I'm but a lowly worm, who cannot change and certainly can't learn. Dost thou like my poem in royal rhyme? Dost thou find my poetry sublime? Did you just write that? I fucked up the iambic pentameter. You're not a lowly worm. It rhymed with squirm. Okay, I have to go. Professor Gnice just looked at me, with his glowing amber eyes. Sounds creepy, but okay. It was sexy. You're just jealous. <laughs> I'm definitely jealous. But let's never forget, I got the first rhyme royal love poem. First draft, though. His will be a work of Chaucerian art. You're such a nerd. X. X. Harry loved texting Draco, but it saddened him how often Draco reached out. Harry knew it was only because Draco had no one else to talk to, which was criminal, because Draco was brilliant at being a friend. Harry couldn't understand how the people on his calls hadn't noticed. Text exchange between Draco and Harry. Are you there? Yeah, just busy doing my extremely essential work. Oh, wait. Huh. Everything okay? Uh, I'm in a park? Question mark. Picnicking or... Never mind. Hey, what's wrong? Can't breathe. Can I call? No, 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 you don't need to do that. I'm calling. Draco picked up on the first ring. What happened? asked Harry. Fucking nothing, said Draco, his voice light and trembling. Some girl asked if I wanted to come to the pub and I freaked out. What do you mean, freaked out? asked Harry. I just, I, fuck, why can't I just be normal? Draco, hey, breathe, said Harry, because Draco sounded as if he were breaking down into tears. But when Draco spoke again, his voice was steady and firm. Sorry, he said. Of course I know why I can't be normal. That was a stupid thing to say. No, it wasn't said Harry. You just want to have friends. There was such a long pause that Harry thought the line had broken. Draco? Yeah. Just checking you're still there, said Harry. I don't know what I'm doing with my life, said Draco. Harry wished, more than anything, that he could go find Draco and hold him. You're doing an English degree, he said. You have a job, you love. Another long silence. Draco? I'm sorry I'm wasting your time, said Draco. You're not. Draco. Draco took several deep breaths. I haven't heard from Marlin in two weeks, he said. Oh, said Harry. Isn't he one of your main clients? Draco laughed. It sounded fragile. I thought so, yeah. So you... miss him? asked Harry delicately. The seconds passed. Draco? No, said Draco. He made a small sound. I just don't know how I got here. Harry wanted so badly to help, but he didn't know how to. You're fun, he said. You know, you're, you're very lovable. I feel like you're going to figure everything out because you've become so fun, said Draco. And Harry realised he had said the wrong thing. Not just fun, he said. I have to go, said Draco. Draco, I don't just like you because you're fun. Draco laughed. Lightly this time, Harry could feel him slipping away. No, I'm also very sexy. Speaking of which, same time tomorrow for our private session? Uh, sure, said Harry. Marvellous. Right, I'd best be off. Draco, ciao. Draco hung up. Text exchange between Harry and Draco. Ciao is a wanky thing to say. I think you know that. Yeah, okay. Arrivederci. I'm sorry I called you fun. I meant it as a compliment. I think I just need a nap. I'm like a baby. I'm sorry you had a panic attack. 
it wasn't a panic attack. It was a very legitimate. What I had was just me being a fucking idiot, just like fucking always. Jesus Christ, fuck. You're being very hard on yourself. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about, hard on myself. What fucking nonsense. James? I'm sorry. No, you're right. My life is a shambles. I'm not in a position to give you advice. I'm just sorry to see you unhappy. X. But in their next session, Draco was cheerful and charming and sexy and never mentioned their phone call at all. The cheerful session stopped being as frequent, however. There was definitely something up with Draco, and wasn't that a familiar feeling for Harry? For one thing, Draco was working out too much. All of his public sessions were him sweating away on his bedroom floor. He didn't have to talk as much when he did that. With Harry, he started prolonging the sex. He didn't laugh as much. He was distracted when Harry asked him personal questions. "'What are you reading?' asked Harry, finally, in desperation. Draco was wanking with a glint in his eye that seemed less like arousal than determination. Draco's hand paused. "'I'm not,' he said. "'You're always reading something,' said Harry. Draco lowered his eyebrows, as if he was just realising that what Harry had said was true. "'Haven't had the time, I suppose,' he said. "Mm." If you were here, do you know what I'd do to you? You've seemed off lately, said Harry. Is everything okay? I think I'd take it slow. Well, slow-ish. I'd straddle you in that chair and just kiss you to begin with, my hands and your hair. I like the look of your hair. I bet you'll let me tug on it if I ask nicely. I'm just worried about you, said Harry. But it was impossible to get Draco to talk when he didn't want to. You all right? asked Ron at the pub. Yeah, said Harry. Then, when he saw that Ron wasn't satisfied, a bit worried about something at work, he added. How's it all going with Malfoy? asked Ron. What? Are you still, you know, camming with him? Harry took off his glasses and rubbed his eyes. Yeah, he said. And it wasn't until much later that he realised Ron hadn't pursued that line of questioning, despite it clearly being a fucking weird thing that ought to be questioned. Harry made sure to have a session on Draco's birthday. Draco didn't say the day was anything special, and cringed when Harry mentioned it. What? asked Harry. Don't tell me you're one of those people who hates birthdays. I hate getting older, said Draco. Pretty sure you're going to be hot well into your eighties, said Harry. You've got good bone structure. But Draco folded his arms over himself, looking suddenly slight and small. I'm a twink, he said. Nothing good happens to twinks when they age. You're not a twink, said Harry. It's literally my category on the fucking site, said Draco. He unfolded his arms to rub his temples. It's fine. It's just an occupational hazard of having a job where my looks are important. You're 23. I'd say you have a second before you need to worry about ageing. I know, said Draco, but he still seemed stressed and unhappy, although he cheered up enormously when Harry gave him a birthday tip. Draco seemed so off-kilter that it was particularly annoying that the next few weeks were, for some mysterious reason, the busiest Harry had been in years. There were weddings, and stag parties, and picnics, and drinks parties, and Hermione's book launch, and Ron suddenly wanted to catch up just the two of them, and before he knew it, three weeks had passed without Harry seeing Draco once. They texted, but it wasn't the same. Anyway, Harry was too busy to do more than perfunctorily answer Draco's messages about his lecturers. As Harry's answers grew shorter... Draco stopped texting as often. When Harry's life finally emptied, 
Draco was scheduled to do a public session. Harry opened his laptop, looking forward to hearing Draco's voice. He often treated Draco's public sessions as a sort of foul-mouthed radio programme, and laughed along to Draco's jokes as he did chores. But Draco wasn't online. Draco had never missed a public session. He was regular as clockwork. Harry texted him. Hey, you're not online. How am I supposed to fold laundry if you're not reading the Communist Manifesto wearing only a thong? Draco didn't answer for several hours. Oh, felt a bit under the weather. You're ill? No, no, I'm fine, just a cold. Because I booked in to see you tomorrow, but happy to postpone. No, no, I'm fine, really. Just needed a bit of extra sleep. Excited to see you. I missed you. Draco responded with a smiley face. All day, Harry waited with breathless anticipation to see Draco. He hadn't exaggerated. He really had missed him. So much, in fact, that somewhere in the back of his mind he knew that the situation was unsustainable. He wanted so much more than video chats on a laptop. He wanted to cook Draco dinner. He wanted to go to Quidditch matches with him. He wanted Draco to put his hand on Harry's thigh under the table at pub nights. He tried not to think about any of that, and to focus instead on the fact that he would be seeing Draco soon. They would touch themselves. He would make Draco laugh. Draco would mock him for never remembering Suriname. But when Draco came on the screen, it was immediately apparent that none of that was going to happen. Draco looked haggard. His red-rimmed eyes were too big for his face. His cheeks seemed to have withered into his skull. He lay in his bed, but it wasn't sexy. It was all too obvious that he was there because he couldn't get up. Hey, he said. His voice sounded like gravel. Draco, said Harry. What happened? Draco blinked slowly, as if he didn't understand the question. Even through the filters Harry knew Draco used to hide blemishes, Harry could see that his lips were flaking with dry skin. "'What do you want to do?' said Draco, mostly whispering. His eyes were glassy and unfocused. "'What's your address?' said Harry. If Harry hadn't been worried before, the fact that Draco simply told him would have been enough to let him know that something was seriously wrong. He apparated to Draco's building in Deptford. It was a shabby, derelict sort of place. The front door didn't shut properly and the stairwell stank of urine. I'm outside, texted Harry. Draco didn't text back, or pick up when Harry called. He hesitated to apparate inside. He decided to knock first. The door was opened immediately by a young woman with a pinched face. Is Dra- Malcolm here? asked Harry. The woman's face grew even more pinched, which Harry would not have thought possible upon first seeing her. She had a face like a laundry peg. Oh no, she said, starting to close the door. No, absolutely not. I tolerated the sex cam stuff, but he is not setting up a brothel in here. No. Harry stuck his foot in the door, preventing her from closing it. He's my friend. The woman stopped trying to close the door on Harry's foot to give him a suspicious look. He doesn't have any friends, she said. From school, said Harry. She looked at him for a second, as if trying to decide how Harry would brutally murder her if she were to let him in. Fine, she said, and stepped aside. Actually, this is perfect. He owes me rent. I'm not covering for him again. He's sick, said Harry, following her into the flat. Yeah, and he'll be sicker if he gets us evicted. I'm Tracy, by the way. Ha, uh, James, said Harry. Draco's room had always seemed quite nice on screen. The rest of the flat, however, was not. The front hall was cramped. There was mould on the walls. It was like the worst kind of student accommodation. Well, James, I'd appreciate it if you could get him to pay up, said Tracy. How much is it? asked Harry. 
She gave him a number that was so small it made Harry's heart constrict. He had spent more than that on a pair of shoes. Granted, only once, and it had been because Ginny said he needed to get over his chronic inability to do things for himself. But still. I'll pay it, said Harry. Tracy's pinched face relaxed instantly, and suddenly she seemed almost pretty. You will? Yeah, said Harry. Uh, is there a cash point nearby? Ten minutes later he was back. He handed her double what she had asked for. Next month as well, he said. She looked at the money in her hand, clearly wrestling with some moral quandary. And he's not paying you back with... No, Jesus, said Harry. I told you, we're friends. Tracy nodded. Yeah, okay, she said. She really looked completely different now that she had the rent money. He's through there. Harry knocked on the door she had pointed towards. When no one answered, Harry pushed it open. It was dark, except for a studio light on the bedside table that served as a lamp. Draco lay in the rumpled bed, cheeks flushed, eyelids fluttering, a sheen of sweat on his forehead. Draco, said Harry, kneeling next to him, and tilting the studio light so that it no longer glared into Draco's eyes. Draco made a soft, heartbreaking sound, but did not wake up. Harry locked the door, then set about trying to make him more comfortable. He turned out the studio light altogether, casting several small balls of glowing light instead. He cast a cooling charm on Draco, and a cleaning charm on the bedsheets which were soaked in sweat. Draco tossed and turned. Occasionally he would open his eyes, stare at Harry, and say, Pansy? Harry couldn't answer him when he did that. It felt too wrong to correct him with a name that wasn't his own. He transfigured a cushion into a lumpy mattress and stayed the night. At about two in the morning, Harry was woken up by Draco's rasping voice. James, is that really you? Harry sat up. Draco lay shivering in his blankets, staring at him in confusion. Hey, said Harry. You're here, said Draco. You needed looking after, said Harry. Draco closed his eyes and smiled although it was quickly replaced by a grimace. You didn't have to, he said. Harry filled up a glass of water and handed it to Draco, who promptly spilt it all over himself and looked aggrieved. Sit up, said Harry, casting a drying spell and refilling the glass. He put his hand on the back of Draco's hot head and held the glass to his lips. Magic's convenient, said Draco, when he had drunk his fill. It is, said Harry, helping Draco settle himself back into the covers. He knelt at the bedside and stroked Draco's soft, damp hair out of his face. Mother, said Draco, fading out of lucidity. He grew so hot that Harry worried he should take him to the hospital. But when he called 111, the NHS non-emergency number, the patient woman on the phone told Harry that Draco just needed fluids and rest. So Harry lay back on his makeshift mattress and gave Draco water whenever he woke in fitful bursts throughout the night. In the morning... Harry went into the kitchen to rummage for food. There was nothing but frozen chicken breasts and tins of beans. Tracy was making coffee. Is there, like, soup? asked Harry. Tracy shook her head. He only eats three things, she said. Harry waited for her to go to work, then summoned Creature so he could make soup. When Draco was awake, he spooned the soup carefully into his mouth. Draco leaned against him, falling asleep in between mouthfuls. How long have you been ill? asked Harry. Not ill, said Draco, and passed out. Harry called in sick at work. He watched movies on Draco's laptop. Sometimes Draco would wake up and call for his mother or for Pansy. Sometimes he would just smile and say, 
you're still here. The following night, his fever broke. He sank into a deep, untroubled sleep. His temperature cooled, and Harry fell asleep listening to his slow, soft breathing. James. Harry sat up. It was light. Harry's back ached from the lumpy mattress. Draco lay on his side, his expression open and focused. Hey, said Harry, rubbing his eyes. You want some water? You came, said Draco. Harry filled up the water glass, but when he held it to Draco's face, Draco sat up and took it in his own hands. I feel better, he said, although his voice still sounded cracked and hacking. I was worried about you, said Harry. Draco smiled and lay back, setting the glass on his bedside table. I think I'm falling in love with you, he said, before closing his eyes and going to sleep. Harry was filled with a growing sense of horror. For the first time, the full meaning of his behaviour dawned on him. Draco loved him. Draco trusted him. Draco lived a life in exile, unloved and unwanted, and trusted no one, and Harry had forced his way through his defences, made Draco reliant on him. Now Harry was faced with the fact that there were only two options ahead. Tell Draco the truth and shatter Draco's fragile self-belief, or disappear and break his heart. Draco was so much handsomer in person than he was on camera, even though his skin was blotchy and his nose was red. He was solid, and Harry wanted to cling to him, to use him as a rudder with which to guide his own meaningless, drifting existence. He went to the cash point and took out another two months' worth of rent. He left the money on Draco's bedside table and disapparated. Hermione listened in grave silence as Harry told her the entire story. But he's fallen in love with me, and I don't know what to do. I can't tell him. I mean, can I? Hermione toyed with the tag of her tea bag. They were in a small coffee shop, but she had cast privacy spells so they wouldn't be overheard. Tell him that you've been lying to him for months, she said. Yeah, God, and he'll know that that first session was meant to humiliate him, and it will, it will make him feel awful, said Harry. Say you tell him, and he forgives you, said Hermione, frowning. She seemed rather dazed. What then? This is Malfoy you're talking about, Harry. I don't know, I guess I'd... Hermione shrugged off her coat and rolled up her sleeves as she listened. She never rolled up her sleeves. The dreadful scar on her arm was still there, livid and ugly, mud blood. The words in Harry's throat dried up, words like, I'd still want to be with him, and he's different now. Because it didn't matter if he was different. It mattered that his friends were the same people he had once hurt, and that their hurt had lasted. Hermione noticed where he was looking. She blushed and quickly rolled down her sleeves. You should do what you think is right, she said. I... I can't date him, said Harry. Would you want to? asked Hermione. It would remind Seamus of Dean and Ron of Fred and you of the worst day in your life, said Harry. It would, agreed Hermione. Is he worth all that? Can you be sure? Harry put his head into his hands. Oh God, he said. I've done an evil thing. If you want to be with him, you should be with him, said Hermione. But she was just saying that, and she knew as well as he did that he couldn't do that to his friends, to his family. He had grown so used to seeing Draco as separate from Malfoy that he had forgotten they were still the same person to everyone else, and always would be. He remembered what Draco had said about Harry Potter being a decent person, at least before the war. 
There was no way he could be a decent person going forward. He could fuck over Draco, or he could fuck over his friends. And his friends were more numerous, and had never done anything to deserve being hurt by him. How do I... should I tell him all the same? he asked. Hermione looked sympathetic. That seems as if it would cause him needless pain, she said. So I'll just... I'll, I'll just stop seeing him, said Harry, blankly. It sounded so simple, put like that. Stop seeing him. But those three words entailed a million different things, all of them painful. Not getting to make Draco laugh. Not getting into stupid arguments about geography or literature. Not having anyone to care for or worry about. Not getting to see Draco's lovely face grow taut with arousal. When he got home, Draco had texted. You're Florence Nightingale. I shall build a statue in your honour. Also, did you mean to leave a small fortune in muggle money on my bedside table? The texts went blurry as Harry stared at them. He blinked until they were clear, and texted back. Yeah. Oh, um, did we shag? I wasn't drunk, I swear, I just was a bit out of it and can't remember. Jesus, no, what the fuck? Ah, good, good. You were like on the verge of death. Right, right. Gentlemen. I forgot. So the money... Just thought it might help. Oh, that's... That's thoughtful. It does help. A lot. Thank you. For everything. I woke up feeling... I don't know, I don't want to be embarrassing. But I've been feeling a bit hopeless for a while now. Well, since I was 16. <laughs> I wonder why. And... Draco. Having someone take care of me like that, it was just really unexpected and... Oh, what? Sorry. Sorry, I'm, I'm monologuing. I'm going to be too busy to see you. Right. Okay. That's good. Work picking up. That's good, I, I hope. Harry smashed his phone several times against his kitchen counter, but it was a Nokia, an indestructible. Anyway, I just wanted to say thank you. How long, by the way? Do you think you'll be busy, I mean? A while. Ah, okay, no problem. I have to go. Yeah, of course. Talk to you later. Kiss. Harry put his phone under his mattress and threw his laptop in the bin. He wasn't decent, he realised. If he had been decent, none of this would have happened, because he would have stood up to Ron and Seamus at the pub. He had allowed his post-war exhaustion to turn into laziness, and eventually that had melted into cowardice. He was ashamed of himself. Draco had spent years trying to make something of himself, but Harry had just deteriorated. Luna agreed to meet Harry the next day. He went to her flat and drank her weird elderberry tea. It's nice to see you, she told him. It's nice to see you too, said Harry. How was Greenland? Her face fell. It's terrible what's happening to the ice caps, she said. Harry put down his elderberry tea. That's actually what I've come to talk about, he said. The ice caps, asked Luna. Harry nodded. I want to help. To do something worthwhile. How can I help? Luna observed him for a moment. We all have to play to our strengths, she said. Harry nodded. I know, he said. I'm happy to go on expeditions. I can fly. I can carry things. Whatever. Luna shook her head. No, Harry, she said. Your strength is that people listen to you. They look up to you and admire you. I don't know about that, said Harry. If you really want to help, you'll go into politics, said Luna. 
Harry looked at the ceiling. Fuck, he said. You hate that idea, she said. No, it's not that. I mean, yes. It's that you're right, said Harry. He had thought about it, briefly, the summer after the war. The world had been in chaos, and the people in power were there for the wrong reasons. Freshly eighteen, exhausted, mourning. Harry had looked around and told himself, Soon, after a break, I'll start again. But instead, he had just... floated. It wasn't difficult for him to get into politics. He quit his job. He was elected for the first position he tried for by a landslide. Hermione was delighted and helped him with the reading. The first chance he got, he convinced the deputy head Aura to reopen Draco's case file and to see if he couldn't find out anything about the people who had beaten up Draco and his mother. Domestic violence, said Rosevere, the deputy head Aura. You really think Narcissa Malfoy and Draco Malfoy were beating each other up? asked Harry. Rosevere frowned. No, that doesn't seem right, he agreed. I'll look into it. The papers talked about Harry's return to the world stage. People said he was destined to be the youngest minister for magic in centuries. Hard to beat the Earl of Masserine, who was elected Minister for Magic in the 16th century at the tender age of eight. "'Are you all right, though?' asked Ron at the pub. "'Course,' said Harry. Ron frowned at his drink. "'You'd tell me if something was up, yeah?' Harry shrugged. "'How's it going with the Malfoy thing?' asked Ron. "'Stop doing that,' said Harry. Ron nodded, still frowning. "'You seemed a bit better recently, but now you're... What? Now I'm what? asked Harry. I don't know, said Ron. You just don't laugh much anymore, that's all. Well, I'm sorry if I'm not fun enough for you. I'm trying to be an adult. Yeah, okay, said Ron. And they didn't talk about Harry's emotional state anymore, although Ron sometimes watched him with a funny, thoughtful expression. Occasionally, Harry would take his phone out from under his mattress and read Draco's texts. Okay, I know you're busy, but I have to update you on Professor Gnice. We just had a private tutorial, and he called me, I quote, very clever. If that's not love, James, then what is? Saw a woman on the tube who looked like Umbridge, but she was wearing a shirt that said pussy power, and I had to tell someone. How's work going? I thought you should know that I just accidentally touched a squid. Don't ask me how, I don't want to go into it. How's your day been? You are now looking at the newly instated librarian's assistant. That's right, baby, I got myself a part-time job. Pay is shite, but books and consistency. Consistency is good. So I won't be doing public shows anymore or taking on new clients. But I'll have time to see you when you're more free, obviously. Are you coming back? You're not coming back, are you? Did you meet someone else? We could still be friends. Fuck, that was pathetic. I feel so stupid when I think about you. Because I thought it was real. Harry smoked a lot of weed on days when he checked his phone. Actually, he smoked a lot of weed point blank. He gave speeches about elf rights and prison conditions and muggle-born opportunities. He gave interviews and posed for photographs. And then he went home to his pitiless, empty flat, smoked weed and tried not to think about Draco. Hermione and Ron staged an intervention at one point. Or tried to. It's one thing to smoke on weekends, said Hermione, but it feels as if you're escaping something. Harry held her gaze. Obviously I'm escaping something, he said, and lit up another spliff.
they didn't mention his smoking again. It was boys' night at the pub. Seamus did that thing where he bought a packet of crisps for the table, and Harry ate them without much enthusiasm. Things were getting better. Harry's unexpected shift into politics was an improvement. It felt good. It was unpleasant, but it felt good. Like eating vegetables, or working out, or washing his hair when he was tired. He felt as if he were exercising a muscle that had grown flabby over the years. But then he would think of something he wanted to tell Draco, and he would be struck once more by the bitter fragility of his principles. Or else he would think of something Draco had said, and laugh, before remembering that he had given Draco up, or lost him, or never had him in the first place. He tried not to think about it. He was very bad at not thinking about it. Seamus and Ron were talking about Quidditch when it happened. The door to the pub opened, and Draco Malfoy walked in. It was a muggle pub, as always. It was pouring with rain outside, and Draco wore only a pair of jeans and a sodden cable-knit jumper. Water trickled into his eyes, and he shivered at the barman. Should have brought an umbrella, Harry heard him say. Is it all right if I stay until this passes? The barman was just answering in the affirmative when Seamus stood. Harry felt Seamus's body move, but, as in a nightmare, seemed perfectly unable to do anything about it. Seamus's face had that blazing, rigid expression it got whenever Dean came up. "'Oi, Malfoy!' he said. Draco looked up. He froze when he saw who it was who had addressed him. "'You don't look as good as last time I saw you, wearing a little schoolgirl outfit and fucking yourself with a Gryffindor dildo!' Draco did not react. He simply stared, wide-eyed at Seamus as if he thought he might have misheard. Sorry, he said, a small crease appearing between his eyebrows. Seamus, said Ron, tugging at Seamus's arm. Let it go, mate. Harry still couldn't move. You heard me, said Seamus. Pretty little camboy you made for us. Bet your dad's real proud of you, huh, Malfoy? Is he bothering you? the barman asked Draco. But horrible, monstrous understanding was dawning in Draco's face as he turned to Harry. James! he said. Not a question. A realisation. Draco, wait, said Harry, belatedly regaining the use of his faculties. Draco turned jerkily on his heel and fled into the driving rain. Harry knocked over a chair trying to get after him. Ron moved his pint out of the way so that Harry wouldn't spill it and forced Seamus to sit down. Now you've done it, said Ron to Seamus. Harry didn't pause to wonder what that meant. He chased after Draco, looking both ways at the pub door. He spotted Draco speeding, hunch-shouldered, down the street. Draco! Draco did not stop. Harry ran to catch him, and although Draco was walking quickly, he evidently didn't want to resort to a flat-out run. In a minute, Harry was beside him. Draco, he said. When Draco didn't stop, Harry grabbed his arm. Let go of me, said Draco, shaking Harry off. He turned to face Harry. What do you want? He was so much handsomer than Harry had remembered. I, said Harry. God, I mean, of course, said Draco, with a huge swallow. The rain fell so hard that it was all Harry could hear. The rain and Draco's panicked, anguished words. Of course it was just... just a fucking prank. You broke my heart for a laugh. No, said Harry. No, the first session was supposed to be a joke, but did you really need to punish me? asked Draco. His eyes met Harry's, naked and sincere. No, listen to me, Draco. You have no idea how awful I feel. Draco made a strange, breathy noise of outrage, but Harry plunged on. 
I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. It started out as as a terrible, cruel joke. And I, I should have told Seamus to stop. I was such a bloody coward. And the whole thing was so fucked up. I don't know. Was it? Asked Draco, his voice rising wildly. I don't even know. Maybe it was about right. I, I don't know. God, I, I loved you and you... You... You spat on my soul. I love you too, said Harry. I'm in love with you. I couldn't figure out how not to hurt you. Draco covered his face with his hands. I know you think I deserve this, he said. But you don't understand how much it aches. If you did, you'd stop, wouldn't you? You're not so changed that you would keep going if you knew... If you knew how much it had meant to me and, and how awful it was when you... Or maybe you do know. And that's why you did it. Draco, please listen to me. I fucked up, obviously, but it... it it was real to me, okay? I love you. Draco lowered his hands. Then why did you leave? Because I couldn't do that to my friends, said Harry. Draco bit his lip and squinted at the sky, clearly trying not to break into tears. Oh God, he said. I believed you for a second there. Look, can you just accept your victory and leave me alone? I feel more stupid and worthless than you could ever have hoped. You win. "'Completely and utterly. "'That's not what I—' said Harry. "'Draco looked at his feet, scrunching up his face. "'Please let me go, Harry,' he said quietly, "'as if he didn't have much hope that Harry would relent. "'I love you,' said Harry. "'Draco covered his ears with his hands and gave a soft sob. "'The desperate pain in Harry's chest made things so much clearer, "'because fuck his friends, fuck everybody.' No decision of Harry's that made Draco look like that could possibly have been the right call. Please stop, said Draco. Okay, whispered Harry. Draco swallowed once more, turned around, and walked away. That was part two of Exposure, written and read by Gala Placidia. Tune in next week for part three and for the bonus episode. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a rating and review on the Apple Podcast app, and why not share it with a friend who you think will like the show? For more stories by me, head to AO3. I also have an Instagram, at LetTheMeetBooks, where I post reviews of the books I read, so please say hello on there. Thank you so much for listening.